0: Hi, I'm Dr. Gay Carlson. I'm president of the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry with another of my screenside chats for ACAP members. For those of you who haven't been here before, um, screenside chats are meant to be a comfortable vehicle for us to talk about and inform you about things having to do with COVID-19. And they're meant to be reminiscent of the President Roosevelt's fireside chats that got the nation through World War II and the Great Depression. I'm hoping you'll learn something and fill a niche, as I said, that aren't filled, that isn't filled by other things that ACAP does. Today, our chats addresses a topic that has been in the news every day, all the time for the last several weeks, and that is uh, opening schools. Now, my phone is not ringing off the hook because people want my opinion on the subject. That is not really why we're here. And for people who want to know where ACAP stands on opening schools, we have a really nice statement that's available on our website that I can refer you to. It's called Steps Necessary to Open Schools This Fall. What I really want to talk about is the fact that child and adolescent psychiatrists are sometimes called on by schools to give advice about one thing or another to do with child mental health. And we're lucky to have today as our guest, Dr. Avanti Berquist, who has got some unique credentials actually. She's an ACAP Distinguished Fellow uh, and is a child and adolescent psychiatrist actually at the Eating Recovery Center in Insight Behavioral Health in Seattle in the Seattle, Washington area. But the hat she's wearing today is as a member of the Advocacy Committee, as a liaison to the schools committee, and she's an elected school board member to the Renton School District, Renton School District being in the suburbs of Seattle, Washington. I don't know personally very many, I don't think I know any school board members, of Auntie, And so I thought that was a unique um, vantage point that you could talk to us on. Um, her husband is a member of the Washington State House of Representatives, which is where she originally got the fire and the bug about advocacy. So, as I said, she wears two hats. She's got the school liaison hat and the advocacy hat. Um, so, Avanti, what does being a child and adolescent psychiatrist bring as a school board member? How does that hat help out in that um, position that you've got. Yeah,
1: well, Wen, thanks for having me. Um, I always like to talk about advocacy. Um, and yes, being a child and adolescent psychiatrist is one of the reasons I wanted to run for school board, because we know as child psychiatrists that that's where all the kids are. And I felt like that was a place I could really make some impact, not not everybody needs to be a child psychiatrist to be on a school board. It just is one of the things that I can bring, um, especially in this time, even pre-COVID, where we were all really thinking about how do we improve children's mental health and how do we think about social emotional learning. And there's been a lot of a lot of push or um, interest in doing all of that. So. I've really been lucky to be able to be involved in that and have my child psychiatry um kind of expertise if you will uh on the school board and then there you know there are other members on the board who bring other amazing things. We have a teacher on the school board, and we have um parents I'm a parent as well and an alum, and you know we all bring different things and I am just fortunate that my community elected me. To be able to do this as a child and adolescent psychiatrist as well.
0: Are there particular decisions that your expertise have helped make or that you've been able to educate your colleagues on so that together you're making more informed decisions?
1: Absolutely. One of the things I've been working on is working with our district on how do we engage more of our community partners to help us with children's mental health, um, you know, schools are called upon to do so much more than just education. And I don't feel like we should have to do that alone. We are a community, we're a village and our community in Renton is amazing and has so many opportunities, so many partnerships that we are um, already involved with. And now how can we involve more more partners. People really care about our kids and they just, they want a way to know how to do it. And I know that's true in other districts as well, all through the country. And how do we leverage that instead of having to reinvent the wheel
0: every time? So just briefly, what, what kind of a district is Renton. It's a suburban, uh, it's urban, um, you yeah, know, yeah. it's just, just give us a summary of that so that we have yeah. a lens that we can hear you in.
1: So Renton is a suburb of Seattle. It is uh, very diverse. We have a very diverse district. Um, we are always vying for one of the diverse districts in the state and actually in the country. Um, because we have people from all over the world, and we are diverse socioeconomically, uh, so we really have a lot to think about how to serve all our students, all our families, in an equitable way. Right. How, how many How many kids are there in the district? Or there are about sixteen thousand, which for our state is a large district. And I know okay. it's different for different states, but we're one of the larger districts in the state.
0: Okay. And again, what, what, are, what are some of the things that you're really proud of that you've been able to accomplish in your wearing your school board member hat?
1: Well, it's all part of a team. So I can't say, oh, I did this. Uh, I'm really proud of the way our board works with our superintendent who um, he and I actually started on the same day. He and I have been there for three years now, I think. Uh, We're both alums of the school district, and we've all really worked together to try and and do better, to serve our students and community more equitably, to think about things like social-emotional learning and children's mental health and how to support staff to do all that work that they're being asked to do because there's always more things that we're asking our educators to do. So I can't say there's anything that I did that's amazing because we really do work together as a team.
0: So um, I agree with you about the fact that we expect schools to be all things to all people. And um, I work with our schools locally as well. And I feel badly because frankly, I think... I think uh, public mental health has dropped the ball in a lot of ways, and schools are expected to pick that ball up. And one of the things that I'd like to be able to do is help them pick it up better. How how to put their resources in a in a in a more informed way? Are there um, are there particular concerns that have come up with your staff? the staff of your school district, with regard to COVID. I, I know with mine, we've got teachers that are really very anxious. And we've got sort of two two pocket, pockets of anxiety. We've got appropriate anxiety, like we we don't really know what's going on with this virus and how realistic are our, our concerns about our health. And then we've got the more diffuse anxiety because of the uncertainty and so forth. We've got people that are anxious about things that maybe they don't need to be quite so anxious about. Are there things that you're putting into place or that you'd like to put into place to help the staff with their mental health concerns? Of course,
1: we are really trying to think about our staff and our students and our families. And you're right, none of us know what's going to happen with this virus and it's going to be different for every community so in our community we were uh coming up with a plan with plans right for we have no idea how this school year is going to start so uh, we had a large group in the district to come up with all kinds of plans if we go back to school in person great we'll go back to the way we were and everyone will be happy because the virus is gone. okay. And then all the way to doing school completely virtually, and we involved educators and parents um, and leaders to try and figure out how to do all of that. And we ended up deciding we're going to start the the school year virtually because it just isn't necessarily safe enough with the virus to have our staff there and our students there, even in our our hybrid model of having people there part of the time in smaller groups and farther away from each other. So we really tried to think about all the aspects that are involved, such as our staff that's really concerned about their safety, about our students' safety, about our community's safety. So I'm really proud that. But so you, um, you're dod- really so good about you, that. for
0: the moment, dodged the bullet of, oh, um, you know, how am I going to be able to keep social? How am I going to keep a bunch of five-year-olds socially distant? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, not, you're not going there, okay? But then you've got the other part of it of, oh my goodness, how are we going to be able to? You know, adequately educate the kids. I feel so guilty. I'm a teacher. I really miss my kids. If I if I right. heard that once, I've heard it a million times because I think many of the any of many of our educators like what they do. I mean, they they like being with the kids. They like being a teacher. They like watching the kids grow, and they can't do that. So, yeah. are there ways that? Um, are there are there groups? Are there meditations? Are there are there ways that you're doing something with the staff to help their angst through all of this?
1: You know, I don't know that we've come up with anything great to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we do really work with our our unions to mm-hmm. discuss together what's going to be supportive for our students and for our educators, and that's where we we are right now. Um, our so our teachers union is negotiating with the district about how are we going to do all these things. How are we going to do virtual school and really serve our students and save uh, everybody's mental health? Um, so I don't have that answer yet, um, but we're really trying to think about that because there was a lot of angst about I can't go back in person. I really want to teach my students, but I can't. I can't do it safely,
0: right? Mm-hmm. What's your what's your infection rate at the moment? Do you know?
1: You know, I think in our county it's around. It was going a little bit over five percent, but I don't quote me on that. Yeah,
0: yeah. And it was. Well, much I was going to say it's it so much depends on that. I mean, it, right at the moment, my school district is opening completely in person. Okay. Okay. Our our, our infection rate is a little less than one percent. Okay. It, as soon as the go, it goes over five percent. Governor Cuomo says, ah, "That's the ball game. You know, it's done. You're you're virtual. So it, it it's a moment to moment and a place to place. It, you know, yeah. We keep saying one size doesn't fit all. So that's why I sort of ground my question in what what are you doing or what ha- what has happened in your school district and how has your position on the school board helped." you know, help formulate yeah. that. So that given that Seattle was one of the places where it started, I imagine, yeah, you're you're probably...
1: Yeah, um, we actually had the first school it, yeah. in our,
0: our district had the first school that was
1: closed for infection in the country. Mm-hmm. So we've been dealing with it for a long time. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things we wanted to emphasize when the schools committee came up with the, the recommendations that were sent out from ACAP is it's really gonna depend on your community. I can't give you you know, the answer for everybody, right?
0: So I was listening to an interesting podcast over the weekend, speaking of you closed your schools early. There was a, a publication recently in JAMA, I mean like over the weekend in JAMA, um, Journal of American um, Medical Association, of a very complicated analysis that was done by a couple of people basically saying talking about the number of lives that were actually saved mm-hmm. by closing schools early and it was not a trivial amount i mean it was a, it was a heroic and gutsy thing to do but it turns out that uh, a countless number of lives were saved in, in so doing. So, Absolutely. you know, we, we talk about the fact that it was a terrible thing and everybody feels badly about it. But when, when you're looking back at what the cost is, I think, you know, depending on how important you think human life is, it, you know, it, there was at least some, some gain to be made how are yeah. you involving how are you involving parents in the decision making about what's going on with your schools are there town halls well and that's it i mean you can't get together in a physical town hall i guess it's zoom town halls anyway how are you doing that
1: yeah it's been really difficult as you you mentioned we had some representatives on the big group that was trying to come up with our plans for what what we would do to open school and then once the and then we had a town hall for our district, and there were so many people interested that we ran out of room on our Zoom meeting. Mm-hmm. You know, we just, this is unimaginable times, and we can't even plan for how to do this. Um, so we got a lot of emails as school district members, and there's a lot on social media. And it it really seemed as though virtual school was The way to go so we always are listening to the community and and hearing from parents and you know people come to our board meetings and i really would like to get our community involved more and more as we go on it's it's just so hard right now to try and figure out how to do do it yeah i was just emailing our board this weekend about maybe maybe we could do this or that Maybe we can have some listening sessions to try and figure out what to do, what people are wanting to hear or do. um, Because it's not only COVID right now, right? Our eyes are open to, um, you know, institutional racism so much more than, than our eyes have been open before. and, And thinking about that at the same time as a pandemic. So I was thinking about how do we get our communities input and thoughts about what to do, because for all of these things, none of us have the answers.
0: Well, so you bring up an important topic with your virtual learning then. I thought the the price, that the hide that really comes out of are kids with who are at risk because, as you mentioned, of institutional racism and also kids with special needs. Yeah. That's, that's a tough one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I was really proud of our superintendent because when he um, gave kind of the priorities for this big group who was deciding or thinking of plans for what to do for the school year, he put out priorities that they just need to start with, that we need to prioritize our youngest kids, kindergarten through third grade, because developmentally, they really need more in-person support if we can do that. Our students with special needs, whether that's emotional or physical or um, learnings, special needs and also students who are learning
0: English, English language learners. Um, and those those kids are still going to be educated virtually, right? There's no exception at for this them. point coming in the back at door. Point. <laughs> okay.
1: But that was the priority, which I'm really proud of. And now as I read more, as we go through this virus, those are the things that are coming out. Those are the things that we at ACAP are saying developmentally, that's who we should be prioritizing, right? Because equity is not a quality. We, we don't, you know, say all our kids need to go back um, because that's equal. Equity is really prioritizing that those are the kids who, who really aren't going to do as well with virtual. So if at all possible, those are the kids that we're going to have go back um, first. We're not going to be able to do that right now, but let's try and figure out how to do
0: that virtually. So is there somebody thinking creatively how to manage the virtual Educational piece for those kids that do have the disadvantages. I mean, that I have to say, I the, in in my area and in New York State, the most of the emphasis is on how you're doing this in person. So that's kind of yes. where my thinking was going. Mm-hmm. I haven't really given the virtual part, but people have to be creative as far as that one is concerned as well. And so. Again, are, are, how are the how do you discuss that? I know you don't have any answers to it, but are there specific discussions that people are having to say, okay, this is how this is how the problem solving is going in this particular group of kids. Yeah, this of yeah, kids.
1: and that's how negotiating with our unions really works. Is we think all together about how are we going to do this because. Uh, those are educators and the leaders of our educators talking with the district about, okay, how are we going to do this together to really help those students? And that's actually where things like our ACAP recommendations really help because none of us knows how to do this. So having recommendations from ACAP saying, yes, you really do need to prioritize children with special needs is really helpful to know because we don't have all the answers with this virus. We don't know what we're supposed to be doing. Nobody does, right? So getting advice from from ACAP or um pediatrics associations
0: or whatnot is really, really helpful. We're all hungry for information. So it sounds like, well, I'm going to ask you one other question too. Um, remind me to get back to it. And that is, tell me, I know your, your heart is an advocacy, so I'm going to ask you, where we should be going, as far as advocacy is concerned. But in terms of what ACAP can do, one of the things I was thinking about doing was putting together some materials, in addition to the, um, in addition to what we already have, for schools and for for child psychiatrists that consult to schools that would be helpful um, in terms of helping their planning. Can you think of something? I mean, realize, I realize I'm just sort of throwing this at you, but can you think of something that you'd say, gosh, I really. we could really use something like that. But what, what do you think we could really Absolutely. use?
1: Absolutely. Actually, the resources we have already on the website, I was just looking at them again before this, are really helpful. Mm-hmm. And um, speaking of advocacy, that fits right in because we had a call to action that went out to all of us members And it was just to send those resources to our legislators to, well, I think it was to our legislators in Congress, but you can also send them to your school districts. They're really helpful. I was just reading one from, I think it was Trails, uh, Mental Health America. It was Mental Health America and it it says Trails at the top and it had great recommendations for, what are the things you might see um, right now with different developmental ages? and how they're handling this stress so that you can understand, oh, that child might be a little more stressed than this other one. And, and then some ideas of how to help our students through it, you know, having structure, um, having them work with you on, you know, if you're in person, decorating the classroom and talking about how do you wear a mask and, and talking about how you're keeping them safe right? As child psychiatrists, we know that's one of the most important things to do with children and adolescents is let them know that they're safe and help them understand what we're doing and what they can do to keep themselves safe. So there are actually a lot of great resources we already have. Mm -hmm. And actually, um, one of our members, one of our ACAP members, sent those resources out as the call to action to our state legislators. And one of them sent them to the entire Senate and the entire House. And I'm not sure when that ever happens. So you really can make a difference just by doing even an email.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that, that's a nice plug for us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, are there any more things that you can think of? Um, any more tips that you, you, you mentioned the how important it is for the for for, for those people who are sending kids back to school? Uh, you remind me how old your kids are. They're four and six. Okay, so you've got them really on the young end, huh? Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember those days. <laughs> um, how Have you been managing being a parent and, by the way, being uh, being a doctor, that must not be the same.
1: You know, I am fortunate to have help, which I think uh, makes it happen. Because I've been coming to work in person this entire time. And school shut down, my kids were both in school. Um, Fortunately, my husband just finished the legislative session right around when school shut down. And he's been home with the kids and doing his Zoom meetings and uh, things from home and trying to balance that just like everybody else. But usually our, our grandparents are watching the kids and we didn't want them to be with the kids. We wanted them to be safe. So we had the same situation as everybody else trying to balance that.
0: Actually, I'm going to do a screenside chats with some people on the Women's Committee talking about how parents are managing both. So I, I won't stick Dad. you with that. But I, but I, I again, I think it helps the listener to know a little bit about who you are and uh, where you're coming from. Are there, um, in, the, uh, in the remaining minute that we have, remaining couple of minutes that we have, um, are there any again, either advocacy or a school board tips that you would want to leave our members with?
1: Well, one of the things is um, another ACAP member, Dr. Shapiro and myself were quoted in the ABC News article last week Mm -hmm. about returning to school and about our ACAP um, recommendations. And she made such a great point that this is a golden opportunity for us as child and adolescent psychiatrists to have our voices heard for our our patients and really all all children, adolescents and families because people are really listening right now. People really care about children's mental health and you can really make a difference wherever you are willing to wherever you can. You know, your school district, your legislators, your congresspeople, your PTA group, everybody is really listening and really cares right now. So
0: so strike um, while the iron is hot. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think people have tried to find some hope in, in, in looking for opportunity and other what's otherwise a really difficult set of circumstances. So I think that's a, a nice note to end on. And I thank you for, getting up early and, and being with us to do screenside chats. Um, the next person, we're gonna, I'm going to continue the school theme in a couple of weeks and talk to Dr. Jeff Bostick about uh, school-related information for children with special needs. And so I thank you, uh, Avanti, and I thank you, the listener, and um, we'll talk next time. Thank you. Thank you all very much for tuning in. This is Gay Carlson for ACAP's Screenside Chats.